Well, good morning, Draycott Diaries listeners. Today you find me with Jackie Dog, my guide dog. We are just walking up just through a lovely little street now in Rodney Stoke. As you can hear, there are hens and all sorts of things going on either side of us. And Rodney Stoke is part of the hamlet of Draycott. And we're going to talk today to Colin and Joe Symes because I want to find out a little bit more about the bells of St. Leonard's Church in Rodney Stoke. Colin and Joe originally came from the other side of the valley, but they came over to take over the Bucklegrove Holiday Park that belonged to Colin's parents. And Colin, I know has been a keen musician, has been in a dance band. I think his family had a mobile shop as well as a, a shop in the village, which we're going to find out all about this morning. And this mobile, I believe, was the first rock band vehicle, I believe, as well as being a shop, they would turf stuff out and replace it with musicians. So that should be a bit of fun to find out about. And also going to be there today will be Sophie Courtier, because she's the bell captain. And I think she's invited Judy Pierce to come along with her. Judy is another ringer. There can only be two today because of social distancing, because we're still at the end of COVID. So I'm just approaching the church now. And I can just see Colin and Joe and everybody setting up. So, hi there, Colin. Hi, Joe. Lovely to see you. Come on, Jackie. Jackie, come on. Come on. Hi there, everybody. Lovely to see you. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Judy. Yeah, we're just coming up the path now. Lovely to see everybody. Get yourself seated. Get your thermoses open. Get your woolies on because it's a little bit chilly, even though it's a lovely spring morning. And we'll join you in a minute. Well, how fantastic to be back with Draycott Diaries and on such a beautiful sunny morning. You join us at St. Leonard's Church in Rodney Stoke. My name is Tiggy and I'm going to be talking today to some wonderful members of the community, to Colin and Joe Symes, who I know will be very familiar to, to you all. Also to Sophie Courtier, who is not only a willow artist that we've already featured on Draycott Diaries, but is the bell captain of St. Leonard's, and I will reveal why in a little bit. Also, we have Judy Pierce, who you also know of Organic Everything. Last time I saw her, she was lobbing down an apple tree above me. She's going to be helping us a little bit later with some demonstration, because today we are talking everything bells. As you can imagine, the history of St. Leonard's is so vast that we'll probably be coming back and back and back and doing more and more programs about it. But for today, we're going to be concentrating on the bells for several reasons. And for me, when I'm out on my walks, one of the most special things that happens is when I can hear the bells ringing in the valley. And for all of us, I believe this church means so much to our community. So we're sitting outside the church. It's a beautiful sunny morning. It's the 15th of April, and I'm sitting under that yew tree that I know is really familiar to us all. And the yew trees, I believe, Joe was telling me, are often traditionally near medieval churches because they're poisonous and should stop little animals gnawing at things that they shouldn't. So welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us at Draycott Diaries on this lovely sunny morning. I'm going to start off, first of all, I'm going to talk to Colin and Joe. Tell me, will you both... 
How did you meet? How long have you been in Rodney Stoke? And if I remember rightly, I believe you've both got a connection. Is that right with Brockle Grove, the camping ground? Yes, we have. I, I first met Jo when she was 14. At a dance? We were playing at a, a hall called the Tin Hut in Stoke. That's where I first saw her. We were out for a bicycle ride and she invited me back for tea. Quite convinced that he would say no, but he said yes. Uh, we arrived. Her mother was in hair curlers and very, very cross, but we progressed. Joe was very good. She waited for me because I had to go in the forces. I was in there for three years. And on the last stint, when we had to go because of the sewage crisis, I... I wrote to Joe every day from Cyprus, and she has the 90 letters I wrote, and I have her 90 letters. So it progressed from there. While I was in the forces, we got married at Stoke Church, and her father was a bell ringer at the time. And also in the choir. Also in the choir, yes. And it was like the Pied Piper of Hamelin, because... There were no cars about much, and we walked out of the church after throwing the pennies over so that we had time to get the gates unlocked while the children were picking up the money. And we walked to the hall, and when we got into the hall, they were playing Not Tonight Josephine on the record player, which was a bit embarrassing, but we got over that. And we've been married for 63 years. So tell me, guys, tell me a little bit about the Brockle Grove camping ground. Did that belong to your father, Colin? Well, he initially bought it with my mother in 1965. We could see that the supermarkets were coming and our shop relied on people coming and also us delivering with the van. So we heard it was coming for sale through an uncle who used to live there. And so we went down on the Sunday no surveys, and we said, we'll have it. And she said, well, you can't have it yet. I've got to say goodbye to my friends and all the people that I've looked after here because it was mainly residential. They had families living there. And so we waited. Well, we had to sell property for a start. We had to sell a shop, two bungalows, and a building plot to raise 14000 and we just just about managed to raise the money. We had no money for food after that, only the dance money, which we could earn at weekends. And there we had enough money to live. OK, so tell me, how does the camping ground come into it? Because we talked about the vehicle. I'm still a little bit cloudy about the camping ground because it belonged to your father, is that right? Well, it was, it was started pre-war by Eric Dudden's father. And he was virtually made bankrupt when sinking a borehole to provide the water. And they sold Buckle Grove, came down to Butts Farm, and the family are still in Butts Farm now. Eric died a few years ago, and he was our church warden here for a long, long time. So the fact was that the borehole was 155 feet deep before they broke into the cave where they could get the water. And because of that, it was so expensive that they were made bankrupt. But before they built the borehole, they built the bungalow. And we had no surveys, but we found that the bungalow, in actual fact, was a wooden one. 
covered in wire netting and all the cement was poured through the wire netting to create a wall. And it wasn't until we altered windows we found it was not a brick or a concrete block, but it was wooden and it was lovely and warm, beautifully warm. But we were there then getting it up together uh, until we, we were there 22 years. We started with eight caravans and we finished up with 150. Wow, because it was hugely successful. It was. And was it, Colin, because you had the borehole that you were able to have a swimming pool? The borehole provisionally gave us the water to drink. We supplied it to two houses next door because there was no mains water in those days. When we got busy, we couldn't pump fast enough for the number of people we had there. We needed a million gallons a summer and it it, it was just beyond the pump. It was an old-fashioned Coventry Climax pump uh, with electric motor and just could not cope. So we went on the mains, but some years later we said, this is ridiculous, we've got water there. So we had a new pump fitted and that then fed the swimming pool, some of the toilets, but not drinking. Well, you really did. I mean, you know, this really was the forefront, wasn't it? It was. And you did an amazing job. And and, and I know, Joe, when we spoke on the, on the phone, you told me fantastic stories about your father-in-law, Colin, your father, being rather like Sergeant Mannering. And in the 60s, when, <laughs> let's face it, it was Woodstock and drug, sex, rock and roll, maybe not in modern stuff, <laughs> but maybe in America, but there was that kind of sense of sort of freedom. And, and I think your father, Colin, found that quite hard to to cope with is that is that right he found that uh, he 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 was very much in charge of the scouts when he was younger when the home guard was formed he was used to speaking and getting people to do what they were supposed to do and so he was then captain mannering i can remember many things that happened during that period i wasn't very old but we used to keep 303 rifles under the stairs he always had a 2-2, which I love to use. A 2-2? Yeah, a 2-2 air rifle. Thank you. Well, it wasn't an air rifle. It was a proper 2-2, had the proper shells in there. You right. know, they, 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 were, they were quite lethal. Oh, Colin, I'm going to lie down in a minute with my coffee and some biscuits and just listen to you because it's absolutely magical, Colin. I can't tell you. But I, just before we move on to the bells, which is our reason for being here today... Can you tell me a little bit about this van? Because this van was not only flogging things post-war, as well, anything from electricals and foods and stuff, but if, as far as I can see, it was the first kind of rock band van. You know, we see them on the top road, don't we, going to Glastonbury, where you see these very funky coaches now with dark windows and imagine who the bands are inside. But you were the forerunner of that because you were moving, moving musicians around, weren't you, including all this kit? Uh, the, the band consisted of how much they wished to pay for that night's music. You could have three, four, five, or six of us, and we would all know each other. There was never any music. My mother used to shout out the next tune, and they all knew what it was. Nobody read music. We all played by ear. We did all the local halls. What was your name, Colin? Did you have a name? Morris Symes. Morris Symes, Dance Orchestra. And what did you play? I was a drummer. Okay, Joe, did you play? No, I'm afraid not. With my father-in-law, we did a lot of dance classes. And with the dance classes, we made money and I started a girl guide unit and kitted out my first 30 girls with all, all of their uniforms from the money we 
made Please. at the dance mm. classes. Where is this van today? Is it now demised? Oh, no, it's gone now. Well yes. gone. It was our mobile shop, and we used to clear out as much as we could, put all the drum kits, the electric organ, and up to 17 people standing in that van to go off to the vo- villages. There weren't many cars around, and if, no. I mean, I, as a child, I've walked four or five miles to a dance and back afterwards. But the, uh, people were just happy to have some transport to go to the local dances. Gosh, this is just fantastic. I'll just tell you a little story. I used to drive the van when I first left school at 15, and I used to call at the local policeman in Compton Martin. And we used to call on his wife because she was a heavy smoker. Well, as I got to the door, I would speak to his wife. He would look from the office and say, please stick to the side roads. Because I'd never had a licence. <laughs> wasn't old enough. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope the constabulary of that time are not listening now, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so listen, guys, we're going to have to focus now. We are here to talk about the bells today. Can you tell me, Colin and Joe, how you originally, I mean, you're ringers. I don't know of either of you with the bell captain. I think you learnt to ring in East Harptree. So when did you move from East Harptree? I know, I mean, obviously you've been residents here in Rodney State for many, many years, but when did you start ringing at this church? 73, roughly. I, I, I was ringing with um, Eric Duddin was captain at the time. And we had, it was all men in those days. They all had different jobs, but every Thursday at eight o'clock we would arrive. Better in the summer than the winter because it was damn cold, excuse the language, damn cold up there. But we had enthusiasm. We wanted to do our best. We had quite a few more weddings and funerals than maybe we have now. We wanted to ring and prove that We could all do it, basically, because none of us had been trained other than I had at East Harptree. When you say you were trained at East Harptree, who taught you and was it at the church? Uh, A George Talbot. Wonderful old gentleman. Who was a gardener at the court. Gurney Court. And he had patience, endless patience. He was wonderful. And so we all learnt there. And you were therefore able to bring those skills to here and teach ringers here. Yes. Limited, limited skills. Yes. Sophie's far better than ever I'm going to be. Well, we're going to ask Judy and Sophie. We're going to see how good they are, actually, a little bit later because they're going to, they're going to physically ring for us on two bells. But just so that people know, at, Rodden, at Rodney Stoke, at St. Leonard's, it, it's, uh, we have four bells here, don't we? We have, the, we have the minute bell, which is the treble, the second, the third, and then we have the tenor. So we have, we have four bells. So, Joe, I know the church was built before the tower. So could you just read us out, please, that first paragraph that you read to me so eloquently earlier on? The tower was built in the late 1400s, and it is thought that the bell frame was erected in 1664 by E.W.M. and one bell fitted. Perhaps during the next 40 years, the other three bells were installed to form a small peal of four. So just think, our bells have spoken to the village with messages of joy, celebration, warning and sadness during the reign of 20 kings and queens, as well as a commonwealth. Small wonder that we have a very great responsibility to keep them in good order for the future. 
The earliest bell is our second, cast in a medieval factory in Bristol and bears the inscription, a Latin one because all bells before a certain date were inscribed in Latin, St. Catherine, pray for us. The third bell was cast around 1540 in the Bristol foundry of Henry Jeffreys. Its inscription is, Be all praise to God. Our fourth bell, the tenor, was also cast by Henry Jeffreys around 1540 and reads, St. Luke, pray for us. The first bell, the treble, was recast by the Bristol foundry, Llewellyn and James, in 1909. The original bell was dedicated to the Virgin Mary. The present inscription is Reverend Coleridge Smith, Rector, Fred Edwards, Arthur Chapel, Church Wardens. And the weights are given as approximately four, five, five and a half, and seven and a half hundred weights. And bell metal consists of 77% copper and 23% tin. Fantastic. Do you know what? That You couldn't have done that better. That was just a beautiful scenario. So we know exactly technically what, what we're discussing. So we know, don't we, that the church was originally a, a, just a wooden church before the stone church was, was built. In the 1400s. That's right. Now, this was before the tower came along. And the tower came along at what date? In the 1400s. And the bell frame erected in 1664. Great, because that's the bit I just wanted to just to go back on. If I'm right, Colin, when we talked, you were saying that the stone came from Bath by horse and cart? The freestone. The Draycott stone, which is the majority of the church, was brought locally by the villagers and placed on the side here so the mason and his mate could build the tower. And the cost for a year's work was £17.10. shillings. For a year's work? £17, 10 shillings. And who paid for that, Colin? As far as we know, the Rodneys, because it was their church. And later on, you may want to know about the, the Rodney tombs in the Lady Chapel there. Wow, that's just, that, that's, that's extraordinary. £17, 10 shillings. We wouldn't get much for that now, would you? Let alone a, a bell tower. And I know that it has its original oak frame, doesn't it, still? And the bells still hang from that to this, to this very day. So let's talk a little bit, remembering I'm a complete novice and I'm, you know, I, I've not even had the opportunity, obviously because we're, we're still in the throes of COVID, we're social distancing, so I've not been able to go up the bell tower at all. I'm going to ask uh, Sophie if she could contribute a, a little bit to, to these questions. I was talking to you earlier about do you have set pieces to play for weddings, for funerals, for services? Uh, what was the word that you used? Did you say methods? Yes, we have various methods that we can ring on four bells. And, and for, for those to work, we all have to do our homework <laughs> and memorize the order and the change of order of the bells and it's in a certain pattern so it, it, if we were ringing in rounds which is one two three four and going quite nicely i might call out with or without warning go little basto which is the name of a method and then the team would go into that method until i stop it 
and then we go back into rounds. Is it, is it dark in there? How do you get your cues, Sophie? OK, well, it's not dark. We've got a window facing southwest, but we, we, don't have a, we don't have a view from the tower of the bride arriving or the congregation arriving. If it is a, a wedding or a funeral, so a special occasion with timing where you wouldn't want the bells to keep ringing when the bride's already arrived and in the church, we'd have a warden who would actually flash a light switch that uh, comes on in the tower as the bride arrives and then that's our cue to stop. Because I think Colin and Joe were telling me on the phone yesterday that you have to ring for, is it up to 30 minutes before the bride arrives? Ideally it's 30 minutes but you know they, they are known to be late. I know, I've heard dresses have been caught, bouquets lost. Yes absolutely and really we are obliged to keep ringing mm. until they arrive. So your arms must be dropping off. We, we do have words. <laughs> well, can I just say to any brides coming up, because we are being able to do weddings again, hopefully soon, don't keep the ringers waiting because their arms are going to fall off. But I heard something a little bit more sombre about the, 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 the funerals, because I know every... I mean, Joe was quite keen to, to say every church does this differently. But am I right that when the hearse arrives that there is a certain nomination that you... Colin, can you tell us a bit about that? I'll try and tell you. What happens is we toll the bell roughly half an hour before the service, which tells the village that we're in mourning for a villager who's died, whose funeral is that day. We really want to know the age of that person that's died. The longest we had to toll the bell, the person was 92. So we get the hearse. We have warning that the hearse is outside. Then we start ringing the age. And with luck, we're able to ring the age before the hearse or the coffin gets into the chancel to start the service. But 92 is a lot of, lot of, of, of times. And it's rung continuously. When the hearse is away, then we ring... It's usually a minute, we pull the bell w once, we look at our watches, we wait one minute and we pull it again for a man, and very much similar to a woman or a child, so that the village knows that we are in mourning for that person. Obviously, they probably, well, they're Christians usually, but we do need to let the village know that we are in mourning, so we toll the bell, and when we get the hearse at the gate, we told their age, and that's it, finished. Well, that's a, a sombre thought, because I'd never ever knew that before, that the, the ring was, was for the age. COVID, we have to mention COVID, has struck us all for the last year. How long, Sophie, have the bells been quiet for? We obviously told for a, a loss that we had in the village recently, and we had a wedding where we managed to ring three bells for the wedding and remain socially distanced and that was in the first lockdown I think but that's it and now when we reconvene as ringers I'm going to have to get the bells looked at you know maybe oiled and checked and check the ropes are all in order and haven't been chewed through or just a little light maintenance before we start to ring again so but it's been a long time hasn't it Judy? Will it be nice to get back? It'd be really good I love the the banter Gentle banter in the tower and little catching up on what's going on. Is the swearing? Hardly ever. No, no. 
I mean, do you ever get it wrong and just go, don't worry, we'll cover it? And will somebody just do a bit of extra ringing? I'm very patient, Tiggy. I can't believe that, Sophie. Having known you for many years, I just can't believe that. Now, it's the 15th of April today. It's Thursday. Coming up as a rather important funeral for the whole nation on, on Saturday. When, when we will be saying farewell to the Duke of Edinburgh. Will you be doing any particular ringing? We, we will toll his age. And I, I know that there's an email from the Axbridge branch, which we're members of, telling us what time we should ring. And that should be most towers around the country. And, and Colin and Joe, well, actually, this is a, a group conversation. There will be people out there who'll be going, do you know what? I would love to learn how to ring. Do you ever need more volunteers? We always need more volunteers. I know, for example, just to back reference the Duke of Edinburgh again, that you have had people come through to their Duke of Edinburgh apprenticeship here, haven't they, Colin? I think you told me that. They're taught to ring and they have to be up to a certain standard before the captain will sign the certificate to say they are proficient ringers. And that's what, it, what, what it's all about, basically. So how can people join you guys if they want to? I mean, how can they apply? Oh, they could email me at sophiecourtier at gmail.com or they could find my contact details through the Axbridge branch, which has all the tower captain's details. But we would love to see people. Yes, why Axbridge? Is there a training school in Axbridge? There are proper instructors that would give you very solid instruction and you'd be just taken very gently through the whole process until you felt confident. And then you come back into the tower and you might still have some lessons and I'll be patient and kind. <laughs> well, you may find you have a blind woman of a certain age joining you at some point. You'd be welcome. I'm going to ask one question which I didn't ask at the beginning. I have in the past, and I've been shouted down quite loudly by friends of mine who do ring, campanology. What you do is not campanology. Not sure about that. It is. Yes, that's it is campanology. That's yes. what we're known as. Oh, because I said it to a friend who rang the other day, and she said, um, oh, no, it's not campanology ringing. It's different. So, so, so it's all right to call bell ringing campanology. We are campanologists. So, yeah. Yes. Definitely. To the group of campanologists that I'm looking at here, Judy Pierce, to the wonderful Joe and Colin Symes, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And as I said, we will be coming back to hear all your other stories, Colin and Joe, because I know we scraped the surface, but thank you. To Sophie Courtier, who is the bell captain, and to everybody who supports the Rodney Stokes St. Leonard's Church, a big thank you to you guys. And if I might, I'd like to dedicate this programme to the memory of Chris Neve. Thank you all very, very much indeed. Joe and Colin and Sophie and Judy, thank you all so much. Didn't we just have the best morning together? It was such fun. Thank you. Now, a couple of things to tell you about. First of all, a well, actually, another thank you to everybody who has written in. Uh, <laughs> this all kind of got kicked off, I think, by my appearance, if that's the right word, on BBC Radio 4. This was April the 10th, if you want to have a look. That's Saturday Live, still on Catch Up. And we have gathered many, many new listeners and they have sent us fantastic messages. So please, please keep them coming. We couldn't be more grateful. You can also leave us a verbal message if you wish now. Just go to the contacts page 
And who knows, you might yet hear your own voice on Draycott Diaries. A couple of other credits this week would, first of all, go to Jeff Farney, who was the sound recordist and also edited this programme, to my brother, Hugh Trothown, who specifically arranged the theme music this week around church bells. I was the voice and my name is Tiggy. For those who have recently joined us, just to let you know that we transmit on the 14th of each month. We have a brand new shiny episode. However, you have 37 sitting there that you can pick out at any time over a drink or a cup of a tea and a biscuit. They make really good listening. But we will actually see you again on June the 14th is our next episode. And it just goes to say thank you, thank you for listening. We couldn't be happier with all the responses. Take care and stay safe. (laughs) 